Hey guys, and welcome to the Money Podcast. You know, when I worked as a Wall Street investment advisor back in the 80s, there was basically one way we all got paid, and that was commissions. When I bought or sold shares of stock, you paid about 1% of the value of the trade. When I sold you an annuity, I got paid 4%. When I sold you a mutual fund, I got paid anywhere from 2 to 7%. In short, back then, and today as well, some advisors make a living by taking a slice out of whatever money you invest. But that system has issues. For one thing, advisors get paid more for some investments than others, and that can influence their advice. For another, while the best way to manage money is often to sit tight, your advisor can't pay their mortgage unless they're moving your money around. It was flaws like these, along with the desire to create a steady income, that years ago led to a new model, charging a set annual fee, typically around 1% of the assets under management. Got 100 grand, pay 1,000 bucks a year. Got a million, 10,000. But that system isn't ideal either. For example, does managing a million really require 10 times the effort of managing 100,000? If the stock market doubles, does that warrant 100% raise for your advisor? A final way of paying for advice is an hourly rate, just as you do with an accountant or a lawyer. But unlike with a specific legal or tax issue, investment portfolios require ongoing maintenance. Not only that, in order to make a good living, as with an accountant or a lawyer, hourly investment advisors have to charge a lot per hour. So what's an investor to do? Well, that's what this week's Money Podcast is all about. We're going to talk about the pros and cons of various payment systems and help you decide the best for you. As usual, my co-host will be financial journalist Miranda Marquit. Hello, Miranda. Hello, Stacy. Listening in and sometimes contributing is our producer and novice investor, Aaron Freeman. Hey, Aaron. I need so much advice. <laughs> and this week, we have a very special guest, Pam Kruger of WealthRamp. She owns a service that helps you find the right advisor at hopefully the right price. Hello, Pam. Hello, Stacy, Miranda, and Aaron. Hello. <laughs> hey, and Pam. I've known, I've known Pam for 30 years, uh, mostly ah! off, but, but some on. We, we, uh, we both were in the financial news business. We also were both stockbrokers. Uh, right, Pam? You, who did you work for? Uh, when I first started, I started at a major brokerage firm called Dean Witter. So Dean there's Witter. not going to remember them. Oh, yeah. Remember Morgan Dean Stanley. Witter. Morgan Stanley, Dean Witter. Yep. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. Got, I remember. Got acquired and acquired and acquired. And um, I started at yeah. EF Hutton, which got acquired by Shearson. Right. Oh, wow. And both those right. companies went to zero. As a matter of fact, EF Hutton went to zero. Uh, and then my stock in EF Hutton became worthless. And then my stock in Shearson, which was owned by Lehman Brothers, Zero. <laughs> so I'm a big fan of Wall Street investment wirehouses. Okay, so before we get started, guys, let, let's, let me give our quick disclaimer. Should you hear about investments on this podcast, that does not mean that they are recommendations. You don't ever invest based solely on our advice because we don't know your situation. You got to form your own opinion, folks. You got to make your own decisions. Okay, let's get back to the topic at hand. Okay, so I laid this out for you, Pam. Well, for, let's start here. Let's start here. Does everybody need a financial advisor? No. <laughs> How, who doesn't? So we wade into the water. Um, there are so many people, you know, Stacey, you know, I had a series on PBS called Money Track. And every week on the show, I was teaching people how they can use digital tools that are so available to them that are practically free to help them manage, save and invest their own savings better. So, you know, through that process, you know, I, I was really talking to people about why not become your own financial advisor? And it was only because our viewers pushed back on me and said, Pam, not everybody wants to be their own financial advisor. Some of us really want advice and help. Where do we go? How do we choose? And that was how WealthRamp 
was born. Um, Tell us a little about WealthRamp. How does it work? Okay. Um, With WealthRamp, it took me, and this is really important, it took me four years to hand select the advisors who are independent, and we'll talk about this more, fee only, which means they work only indirectly for the client because they're compensated only indirectly by their client, um, and totally 100% fiduciary all the time. And I had to look at, oh gosh, let's say um, a population of, say, available 30,000 individual advisors who work for independent firms across the country and screen and screen and screen, look at the background records, and then determine who could be a good fit for WealthRamp and then interview those advisors. So when I set about WealthRamp, so that creating WealthRamp, so that I could introduce you, I could introduce individuals to these advisors using an algorithm that would actually help match, you know, you to the right advisor. I thought that it would take me two years to do the hardest part, which is the vetting and the curating of the network. And it didn't take me two years. It took me four years of my life to do that. And yeah, you know, even my family was questioning what I was doing because they were saying in 2018 and 19, are you ever going to launch this thing nationally? And I said, I have to vet the advisors because there's no Googling your way out of this. Now I have a network of 250 advisors across the country who each have different specializations. And it has to be the individual who comes to me who has to initiate the conversation with the advisor or give me permission to make an introduction because I don't want to share people's information. And I don't want them to get a clown car of solicitations in their email box. I want them to be able to carefully and thoughtfully choose the right advisor. That's WealthRamp. Cool. Now, now that we've done a five-minute commercial for WealthRamp. Yeah. <laughs> why? But, okay, where, when do I get my cut? <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, really, though, it is a good service, and I do trust Pam, and as I said, I've known her for decades. But but let's let's step back, though. You you have a service, Pam. So obviously, you've got a dog in this fight. You've got an extra grind here because you want people to get an advisor. But you also said at the outset of this conversation that there are people who don't need an advisor. How do we decide who needs an advisor and who doesn't? I think a lot of people don't need an advisor. My brother, um, who passed away about 12 years ago, he was much older than I am, he never needed an advisor. And I always looked up to him. Um, he loved spreadsheets. Yes, he was an engineer. He, he had rental properties. He had a complex financial life, but he used Vanguard. And he managed everything himself. And he took care of everything himself. And he didn't even really want even a second pair of eyes to collaborate with anybody. He really felt comfortable and he really felt confident. And therein lies the key. Do you feel confident? Yeah, it's right. not the amount of money. It's how confident you feel in what you're doing. I would assume that all four of us on this on this uh, podcast are, are, do not pay a financial advisor. Is that correct? I mean, I certainly don't. I don't. I Yeah, I, I mean, what's there to do when you're indexing? Yeah, well, like, that's another thing I too. Mean, you know, th this is another thing to be considered too is is the complexity of your investment portfolio, right? I mean, like I, I I've been I've been preaching for twenty five years. Just take your age from a hundred, uh, put that amount in stocks, and and then put the rest. Uh, you know, so you've only got three baskets. You've got a stock basket, which is an S and P five hundred index fund. You, you've got, uh, and then the rest is half in a, a money market account and half in a medium term bond fund. Done. Three things. 
what I've read is that advisors are claiming that they can bring about three to three point seven five percent extra return on your investments. Vanguard put out a white paper in 2019 that said that the value of expert advice can boost your returns by 3% per year. Uh, Russell Investments, now both these are money managing money management firms, so take what they say with a grain of salt, but these are supposed to be viable studies. And they said that when you could increase your return, a good advisor could increase your return by 3.75%. So between three and 4%, depending on who you believe, average over long periods of time. Now that's a big that's a big number, and if you compound that over time, it's a huge number. Uh, that doesn't mean that they all can do that, or that even that that's true. But if that is true, let's let's talk about the different ways financial advisors can get paid, assuming that they are going to create extra value. So let's right. Let me let me just step yeah, back for ahead. a second, though, Stacey, and put my two cents in on carrying on the fact that I don't believe that uh, people necessarily need or want advisors. Um, that's the industry, right? That's the Vanguard study. I love Vanguard. We all love Vanguard. Uh, but that's the industry telling you the value of an advisor. Uh, what I think matters is why are people, what's the real reason that real people are hiring advisors? What are they getting out of it from the, from the user's point of view, the consumer's point of view, not the industry, but the user? That's what I care about. That's what I really want to know. And that's what I really study and look at. How are you getting the value? You know, we're going to talk about how you pay the advisor and, you know, round about 1%. And then you have to say to yourself, what the heck am I getting for that? Year over year over year, I'm paying this fee to you, the advisor. It's going out of my pocket. And I need to understand what am I getting back? I need to be able to know that I can see that or else I'm just not going to feel right about it. I'm not going to sleep at night. Is this a rhetorical question or, or are there things you should expect to get out of it? I mean, do you have specific things? There are things a lot of things you should expect to get out of it. Well, and I what, Like what? Um, first and foremost, you know, know thyself and know your own behavior and look at your past behavior as you look back on, you know, study after study that shows that if you're left to your own devices to buy and hold, quote unquote, you're not buying and holding. You think you're buying and holding but you tend, we tend to sell. So we have behaviors that sell low and buy high, right? So you have to look at your own truth and see who you really are. And you have to say to yourself, am I gonna benefit by having somebody who's clear-headed, independent, who I can really you know, confer with, who I'm gonna trust is a good collaborator with me to really help save me from myself. There are, there are lots of things that you should expect to get the value of the fee. That's just one of them. That's just behavioral. But it's a big deal because that behavior is where you lose money. That's where your biggest losses are, when you sell at the wrong time. So that right there is one way the advisor, if you have that kind of behavior and you know you do, that's where the advisor's fee more than pays for itself. That's just, that's just one, one way. Okay, you know what, guys? Let me do this. Let me let me take a really quick break here, and then when we come back. I want to talk about how to find an advisor and how and how advisors get paid, and if there is the best you know the best system to pay that advisor. We'll be right back after this message, guys. Okay, we are back. So let's get into some brass tacks here. Let's talk about how advisors get paid because there are lots of different ways. Uh, one of them, the way Pam and I are going to assume this is true, Pam, correct me if I'm wrong. When we were stockbrokers back in the age of dinosaurs, we got paid on commissions. 
I move your money around, I get paid. Uh, you know, you buy 100 shares of stock, I get about 1% as a commission, which I share with my brokerage firm. You buy an annuity, I get 4%. You buy a mutual fund, I get, you know, whatever. That's the way it was for you too, right, Pam? Yeah, I mean, we were in the business of selling transactions, whether it yeah. was a buy or it was a sell. We really didn't care. It just, we just needed to ring the cash register. Right, and that system sucks because of that. Because, you know, one of the best things you can do for yourself as an investor is to put your money in good stuff and leave it alone. And what you need to do as a stockbroker is you need to move that money around or you can't get paid and you can't pay your mortgage. So it's, it almost forces you. And the fact that some can, I mean, imagine the difference between a 7% commission and a 1% commission on a hundred grand. That's a lot of money. Uh, so, you know, you could, you could be as noble as you want, but it's hard to resist the pull of that extra income. So the, these are problems with the, with the commission advisor. When I say that's what Pam and I used to do, don't think that doesn't exist anymore. That's still very popular. That's still yeah, probably the, model, the most popular. Yeah, the model is 90% of the industry is still paid based on production. In other words, AKA sales. The, and the, the only thing, Stacey, I want to say about this is that you got to think about, do you want to get advice? Is this really the place to get your advice about your financial planning? from a transaction-based model, business model, um, it's, it's pretty hard to argue that you should be getting advice from someone you pay for advice versus going to a sales model to get advice. Yeah, I mean, it's no different than buying a used car from a used car salesman or, or insurance or an insurance salesman. These people are out there to close a deal. Uh, it, that doesn't mean they're dishonest, but they can be, <laughs> and, and they're certainly uh, incented to to put their production above your best interest. Um, so so that's a problem commission and that, and as you said Pam it's, you said ninety percent of the business is still that way. Yeah, ninety percent is still that that type of fee model, and ten percent of the advice industry is truly um, what I would call independent and unaffiliated with a brokerage firm or an insurance company. So when you go there, you, you, you can get unbiased advice about insurance, not from the guy who's going to sell it to you, you know, but really get a third pair of eyes there to, to really look. Um, but at the same time, the independent channel, that 10%, doesn't just mean that, you know, someone's fiduciary and they're fee only. It doesn't make them competent and highly qualified. It just means their fee model is at least in alignment with your best interest of seeking advice. Well, let, let's talk about that. Okay, so we, we, we dispatched commission-based advice. Let's talk about fee-based. In fact, this happened when I worked at EF Hutton. Uh, the rise of, the, it was called a wrap account, or not the kind where you're, you're rhyming words. I think they are W-R-A-P, <laughs> where it's a wrapped fee. So you're no longer collecting a commission on every trade. You're getting 1% of the balance in the account. And so this is a, this is a more popular. It's, it has grown in popularity since I left that industry. Um, but the, what, what's the problem with that is that the fee can be high. And as I mentioned at the intro to this program, when when you have a million dollars, you shouldn't be paying ten times more than someone with a hundred thousand because it doesn't take ten times more effort. Or, or more to the point, more to the point, when the market doubles, which it has in the last year, by the way, a year and a half, yeah, just a little over a year. Um, I sh your, your advisors should get paid twice as much. They didn't do anything. Rising tides lifted all the boats. And so now they get to earn twice as much. That doesn't seem fair. How do you respond to that, Pam? I agree. Um, I think that um, 
the, the main point that you're making is really well taken. Again, I'm on the side of the consumer here, and I'm being a good consumer myself. I don't have an advisor right now. But Stacey, I'm going to hire an advisor in three years because I know my situation is going to become more complex in three years. So I'm going to be out shopping, looking at these considerations myself. Now, the assets under management model, which means that when you go to a fee-only advisor, 100% fiduciary, and you say you're going to pay 1%, for both the financial planning, and it should be very robust, high quality financial planning that does a lot, that goes very deep. And combined with executing on everything with your investments so that you don't have to do all the gardening maintenance, you don't have to do all the deadheading, the weeding, the feeding, all of that. They'll do the tax loss harvesting, all those little things that you have to kind of keep up with. And they do that all for, for 1%. Now your portfolio goes up. And like you said, it's no, by no magic. It's just that the market went up and so forth. And your fee seems to all of a sudden be uh, much higher because it's based on a percentage. Uh, you know, a really good fee-only advisor is going to show you with full transparency what you're paying. As your balance goes up, the percentage drops. So it's going down so that you're not doubling. And, and that, that's, is that a common to, formula? Oh, yeah. It, for really good, you know, A on a report card advisory firm, they'll sit down, they'll say, yeah, they'll start at 1%. And then you'll notice if you look at their securities and exchange commission records, you'll see that they go down from there. They scale down because of that reason. And then there's another um, conflict of interest with the um, assets under management model that you didn't bring up that is really important. Let's say that you're a young doctor and you have a million dollars already saved and you're making $400,000 a year, but you also have $450,000 in medical student loan debt. Now, I want to go to my advisor and I want to get real unbiased advice. Hey, John, you're thinking about paying off this student debt. Well, if, if John, the advisor, is paid based on the money that John's managing, he may not want to tell you that you should pay off that debt because it's going to take money out of the account and it's going to change the value of the account on which he's paid. These are real considerations. And with a really good, solid fee-only advisor, you're going to have this discussion ahead of time. And you're going to work out a plan to pay that advisor so that it's fair, it's fully transparent, and you can see everything and that you each agree to everything. That's the difference. It has to be a collaboration between the two of you, where you both decide, yeah, this makes sense, this is fair. If you go to an advisory firm, and I have advisory firms on WealthRamp that do have these kind of hard and fast rules. They're bigger RIA firms, and they say, no, Pam, I know you want to argue with me and have me be more flexible, but we really just do it this way. We are assets under management fees only. And there are clients who are happy to pay that way. They want to pay that way. They request it. But it's not for everybody, and it shouldn't be for everybody. What what happens when you, why why wouldn't I just give them a hundred grand and then keep a million on the side that they don't know about? I what mean, would be the benefit? What would be well, your benefit of doing well, that? Well, because because my fee would be low. I'm only paying them one percent on the hundred thousand that they control, but I have another million. I'm using the same advice uh, that they don't control, so it's gonna, my fee is going to be one you know one tenth of what it would be. Well, why don't you just then hire the advisor on a which is the next level of the next way to pay fees, which is on a kind of an hourly negotiated or retainer basis yeah, for the advice. That. That's, that's you don't have to have the advisor execute on all of your investment 
you can have you can do whatever you want in the sandbox. But the point is, Stacy, if you're going to the advisor, if I'm going to go to an advisor, I want the advisor to look at everything holistically. I don't want to hold anything back. And if I have to hold back, then something's wrong because I want advice on everything I'm doing. And everything, obviously, is domino effect. What I do with my left hand is going to affect what I do with the money in my right hand. So I don't want to keep money on the side that doesn't know what the left hand's doing. Well, let's talk about the the pay by the hour. Okay, so wait, wait, so, so so you got commission only, you got fee based, which you know you're both the same. Meh. You got fee only, which seems to be the winner. What is there anything negative that could happen with a fee only? Could they have like too many clients and they're they're still treat you like a number? Yeah. yeah well, so yeah, of course. Yeah. Go yeah, ahead. So Pam. yeah, with the fee only, like I just I pointed out one negative already with the assets under management fee model. There's a lot of pros with the assets under management fee model. We'll talk about that too. But but you may want to pay a retainer fee or you may want to pay an hourly fee. And part of the whole vetting, whether you do it or whether I do it, you have to ask that advisory firm, you know, what's the ratio? What's the number of clients that each this advisor that I'm going to hire, you know, this advisor Miranda, I'm going to hire. How many clients does she have before she gets to capacity? Is that advisor going to tell me the truth that they're reaching capacity? And the answer is like for me, with advisors on WealthRamp, I get the phone call and, it, and they, they will call me and say, Pam, I, I, I need to be put on hold. I can't take any more referred clients right now because I'm at capacity. I need to focus on my clients. I can't service new clients coming in until I get them, until I really pay attention and spend enough time. Or they're going to hire a new advisor to take up some of the slack get that advisor, you know, kind of onboarded. And then my main advisor will be back to accepting new clients again at that point. And you, you need to know all that stuff. You need to ask those questions. Well, okay, let's say you've got a million dollars. Um, and let's say that I, you, you've told me before, Pam, that, that that investment advisory service, the Registered Investment Advisor or RIA, um, has said, they'll, they'll give me a little break on the price because I've got so much money with them. But let's say it's 1%. Let's say they don't give me a break on the price. So I'm paying $10,000 a year. Um, would I be better off going to somebody paying by the hour to you know set set me up, do a financial plan for me, uh, and then tell me how I should be invested, and then I'll you know pay you you know five hundred dollars an hour for a few hours work and be done. Spoiler alert: all roads lead to the same amount at the end of the day, Stacy. And I find you guys that that the fees are always going to sort of just kind of. Re revolve around 1%. They're going to be a little bit less, hopefully, but they can be 1%. And if you have a very layered, complex situation, they may be more. And and don't forget, we're not talking about a, a financial plan, set it and forget it, and then run with it. This is not a static situation. Prevailing winds are going to change. Prevailing interest rates are going to change. The stock market is going to change course at some point. Your life is going to change. You're going to sell your house. You know, you might get remarried, whatever. Everything's moving all the time. It's dynamic. A financial plan sucks if it's a one-off because it's misleading. You're basing it on old, stale information. So a really good advisor is going to stay with you and track and know what's going on and capture all of that so that it's dynamic. And that's the key. And that's what you're paying for that you're paying for that ongoing. The real question is, at the end of the day, you want to say, look, I am paying you this ongoing 
$10,000 a year on a million dollar portfolio. You got to show me the money. Like, where am I getting this back? Let me count the ways that, okay, I understand sleep at night and peace of mind is worth its weight in gold. But I also want to know, like, I want an inventory of what's happening here, that I'm getting the value of that advice. And if I'm happy, I'm going to hire you forever for the rest of my life. I'm going to marry you. You're never going anywhere. It's weird, you know, to me when I think about that. I mean, of course, it's it's hard for me to put myself in the place of a, a normal person because I've been in this business my entire life. You know, so it to me, $10,000 to manage a million sounds like a hell of a, a lot of money. And, and because that's how I got a million in the first place was by not paying people $10,000 to do stuff for me. <laughs> so, you know, so it's, I don't know what other people are thinking they're listening to this, but that this sounds like a lot of money to me. Actually, We've got two other people listening to this. What What do you guys think, Miranda and Aaron? What do you do? You, does this sound like a lot of money to you? I mean, <laughs> once again, I think what Pam was talking about is is you know kind of what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish with your financial advisor, and where does that fit into uh, your long term goals and plans? And is it worth? Is it good value for you? Right? I mean, for me personally, like I don't have a financial advisor. I don't use a financial planner. I don't use an investment advisor. I you know, I'm all about that dollar cost averaging into index uh, investments with a little bit of fun play experimental money on the side uh, that you don't need an advisor for because it's just play money. And so, you know, there's that. But on the other hand, I do pay for other types of financial professionals. I pay an accountant to help me keep track of my business finances and prepare my tax returns. Uh, because even though to some people that might seem expensive, it might seem, seem expensive that um, you know, I'm paying monthly and then, you know, annually for tax prep is to some people that may seem expensive, but to me it's worth its good value because it allows, it frees up my time to focus on other things that make me more money in the long run. So I really think it just depends on where you're at, what your goals are and, you know, where you're getting that value. I think Pam really did a good job of breaking it down as to like, okay, well, where are you getting the value from it? I see that. I think it's like a, a time, a time versus money scenario. I mean, if you think about this uh, financial advisor as a, an employee, you're paying them 10 grand a year. That's a pretty cheap employee. And they're making you way beyond that 10 grand so that you don't have to think about how to mess with your money. They're just telling you everything to do. And then you get to focus on other things in your life that I could, you know, I guess if you could look at it that way. And, you know, Aaron, I love what you just said. And I just want to point out two things. And I know that Okay, I founded WealthRamp, so it seems like I would want you to have an advisor, but people who know me and know me well know that I, I don't. I, I really want people to learn themselves, and when they use an advisor, they use it as a collaborator to educate them and pick up knowledge as they go, because if you do it right and you tap into the right advisor, like what you just said, Aaron, <clears throat> not only are you getting the peace of mind and the value like you pointed out, Miranda, but you're also getting knowledge. And knowledge is confidence. And sometimes I've seen people who don't even recognize their own conversations five years later. They're like, all of a sudden, like, oh, my God, I'm talking about stuff that I never, ever even thought that I knew anything about. My God, I know a lot more now. So if you're squeezing the juice out of the fruit of the advisor, <clears throat> you're not only getting all of that, but you're getting an education for you and your kids. And if you don't bring your kids into those meetings, shame on you. You should be bringing your kids in and increasing their financial IQ at the same time. But I want to go back, Stacey, to something you said, which I think is really, really 
what people think about at top line. Um, so is $10,000 a year for a million dollar portfolio a lot of money? Is it less than 20? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so why are so many people paying 20 and they don't even know they're paying 20 at the brokerage like, firm? Yeah. So we're back over like to in, comparing. Yeah. Well, when when you mean like in, in management <clears throat> fees and mutual funds? Where the, where, what 20 are you just talking yeah, about? Exactly. Exactly. I, I had a woman who came to me who could swear that every fund, she had three and a half million dollar portfolio, and she could swear that every fund that she had, her broker told her was like the Vanguard-esque fund, meaning infinitesimally small fees and management fees and expense ratios. And she was looking for an advisor. And finally, she asked me if I could look at her portfolio. And I said, because I, I was really curious. So she said, well, look at it. And I did. And I did an audit. She thought she was paying $2,600 a year. And she, she was doing it all herself, Stacey. She didn't have an advisor, really. She just had the broker. No real financial planning. Guess how much she was paying per year? How much? In management fees and expense ratios total, 17500 Wow. Yeah. She had well, she no could be going, idea. She could be paying 1% and be paying that too. I mean, you know, exactly. because her, the person exactly. charging her that's 1% why, could also be putting her in those funds. That's right. That's why I'm saying is, does 10% sound like a lot? Yes. Does 20% sound, I mean, 20, $20,000 a year sound a lot more? Yes. Well, would you rather pay 20 than 10? Because you probably are paying 20 and you don't even know it. That's my point. Not, not everybody, but many people don't realize because we've got blind spots and we don't realize that. But I'm going to give you one quick real life example um, of someone who was one, one of our clients who is younger, who works at a startup that just went public. Now, here's an example of where... I'm going to say, yeah, Kurt needed an advisor. Um, he had $350,000 worth of private company incentive stock options. And those had a value of about $6 million. Now, depending on if he exercised those, they're called ISOs, and sold the shares before a year had passed, his profits would have been characterized as short-term capital gains, which are taxed as ordinary income. My advisor, our advisor on WealthRamp, saved him over a million dollars in taxes right there. And you know what? There's no going back. He saved him a million and a half, and you can't go back and do it again. So that's the kind of example where somebody needs an advisor. An example of somebody where wants an advisor is someone who says, I want to collaborate. I don't want to drink my own Kool-Aid. I don't want to believe all my own numbers. I really want to get that fresh eyes and that really true expertise, somebody I can talk to and make decisions with. Someone who does not need an advisor is you, Stacey, or me right now today. But I know in three years from now, I know I'm going to want an advisor because my life is going to get more financially complex in a good way. No, that's good. Well, you know, it, it, to bring this conversation full circle, as far as I'm concerned, here are some thoughts that I would have. Uh, every year, and, and for a million years, I, I no longer do television news, but for 30 years, um, I would have this every year at, on, in April, I would talk about how to get your taxes done. And I would say, if you're going to go to a CPA, which I am, um, it's okay if you want to pay a bunch of money to go to a CPA, but make it worth their while. Because if all you're doing is handing them your stuff, and they're inputting it into your computer and spitting out a tax return and charging you $1,000, then you just paid somebody $1,000 to type for half an hour. 
So if you're going to pay that $1,000, make sure you get your money's worth. Have questions. Go in there. Look them in the eye. Tell them what your situation is. Because if they're not going to do anything more than software can do, you can do that for 50 bucks at home. And I, and I think the same thing applies here. I think if you're going to pay for financial advice, however you pay for it, I would urge you not to pay for it by with commissions. Uh, I think that that's just a really lousy way to do stuff. But if you're going to hire a professional investment advisor, make sure you get your money's worth. And also, here's the other thing I would remind everyone listening to this. There is no amount of stupid mistakes that's going to cost that advisor anything because the only money they're going to lose is yours. So if you hire advice, take the time to learn from them, as Pam suggested. Glean some knowledge. Be responsible for your money because guess what? It's your money. So be careful who you hire and take the time to learn what's going on. Ask questions. Become your own financial advisor because it is your money at the end of the day. Agree or disagree, Pam? Could not agree more. Um, and the only thing I can even add to cap that off at all is to say that I really, when people come to me and they say, do I need an advisor? I say, no, you don't. Because if you're asking me the question, you don't need an advisor. And then people who come and say they're happy with their broker, I'm never going to say anything other than that. I'm just going to shut up. <laughs> the people who come to me and the people who find me and seek me out, Stacey, are the people who know that they are like, okay, I've done my homework and I know I want an advisor. Now I'm your girl. Now Pam can help you. Because you want to get educated, you want your eyes open, and you want to take responsibility and you want the right advisor. That's different. Well, and this is why I come and seek you out, Pam, because you're such a good guest. Oh, uh, thanks. And, and also, remember, too, guys, uh, we didn't go over these points one by one, but remember some of the things Pam said. Talk to when you're talking to an advisor, they may all be charging you 1%, just like, you know, lawyers and CPAs and everybody else, doctors. I mean, they all charge a lot of money. It, talk to them because they'll charge the same amount whether they've been out of medical school for 15 minutes or 15 years. And it's the same thing with financial advisors. You have the right to ask them questions. What, what gives you the, what, what makes you so smart? Where did you go to school? How long have you been doing this? You know, so, and, and always talk to more than one so you can get some advice. I always tell people to talk to three, uh, but because one will float to the top. You have to, you have to compare, whether you're talking to a plumber or a financial advisor, talking to several is the way that you recognize one being better than the others. Can I just leave you with two questions? that when you have vetted an advisor that you want to ask that advisor that you're really thinking yes, about? Yes, please. Okay, the two interview questions, assuming you've already vetted them, they have a 98% client retention rate and they passed all of the screens. Now, when you're getting serious about hiring the advisor, what I want you to ask them is, first of all, describe who are your typical clients and how are you, what are you doing for them? You're getting paid a fee year over year. What are you doing for them? Force them to draw a picture of all the different things described that they actually are doing, that value, it, what, what it is they're actually doing, like a list of things. And then the second question right after that is, please explain your fees, all your fees. What are they based on? How do you charge? How are your clients paying you? You know, do, is it set in stone? All those questions about fees. Those are two questions that will help you frame the discussion around the value proposition. You know, is there value for what I'm likely to pay you? Well said, Pam. You're very good at this. 
and you can, we're going to go ahead and close the show. We're way over time. Uh, but uh, you can reach Pam at WealthRamp.com. I'll say it again in a minute. You can also find her at MoneyTalksNews.com. We, we also suggest people uh, go to her site. So anyway, we are out of time, guys, but we're never out of topic. You need to dig a little deeper on this. You're going to find links to lots more info in our show notes. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, to retire rich, your online home is MoneyTalksNews.com. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That is Miranda Marquit, M-A-R-Q-U-I-T.com. And, of course, you want to visit Pam at her website. That is WealthRamp.com. Got a question, comment, or topic you'd like to suggest? Then tell us about it. Email us at hello at moneytalksnews.com. That's hello at moneytalksnews.com. And one last thing, if you appreciate what we do, then do something for us. Subscribe to this podcast. Takes you two seconds, really helps us out. So if you like us, don't just sit there. Show us and subscribe. I'm Stacy Johnson. And I'm Miranda Marquette. I feel advised. Thanks, Pam. <laughs> Thank Pam, you, guys. do appreciate you being here today. You're wonderful. We'll have you back again as soon as we possibly can. Thanks for hanging out with us, you guys at home, and we will see you right here next time.